Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We are also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And our thanks to Hotel X, the official hotel of Matchpoint Canada for this episode. Mike, we're just over the halfway point of our final Grand Slam of the season as we check in with the U.S. Open. I I feel like it's been a pretty electric seven or so days at Flushing Meadows. And for me, the storyline's kind of been the Americans, frankly. Yeah, in terms of North American results, uh, we got to kind of lump ourselves in with our American uh, neighbors to the south (laughs) because, unfortunately, there's not a ton of uh, great stories coming out of Canada at this U.S. Open, except in doubles, and we'll get to that later. But on the single side of things, uh, a bit of a resurgence, yes, for uh, the Americans, especially on the male side, the most uh, men in the uh, final uh, eight of the U.S. Open since, uh, well, going back a ways anyways. uh, 2005. there, wow, there you go. That's going back a long time. So, yeah, positive news for our neighbors to the south. Uh, and, uh, yeah, some uh, some hectic action on both sides to uh, recap. Djokovic and Alcaraz still both in the men's event. So that's what everyone is is looking forward to potentially on Sunday. And on the women's side, obviously, a big upset with Iga Fiontech going out early. Um, one other thing before we dive right into the tennis, and here's a bit of good news for Canadians, is if you're a fan of the Tragically Hip, uh, they've been kind enough to share with us a new single called Bumblebee which is one of the songs that was uh, not quite on their album from 1998 called Phantom Power. Uh, Tragically Hip, of course, huge band here in Canada. Uh, Their lead singer, Gord Downey, unfortunately no longer with us. But this new song to listeners will be the end of our episode today. And we thank them and their manager, Jake Gold, who's a huge tennis fan and actually in New York right now for the U.S. Open. Uh, Thanks, Jake, for letting us use the song later in our episode. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, if we begin on the men's side, I guess we'll start with Novak Djokovic because I feel like he had the biggest test, ran into the toughest test in his first week in the sense of the quality of tennis Laszlo Gero was playing against him and the fact that he was down two sets to love. Uh, not maybe the toughest in terms of draw, but he was had his back against the wall. 6-4, 6-4 down. Gero was playing unbelievable from the back of the court. And I, I mean, we see it time and time again. Novak finds a way to firstly not panic. Uh, he seems to never panic in these situations, which is a superpower of his and just resets and mentally locks in and in the third set gets an early break in the fourth set gets an early break. And you can feel just the tide turning so rapidly uh, and Jera just losing all belief that he's going to be able to hit Djokovic off the court. And, you know, it, it's just another testament to the fact of how strong Novak is in the best of five format that he rallies from down two sets to love wins that match comfortably gets through Borna Goyo in the fourth round. And he's into his 57th major quarterfinal. I mean, it's, it's surprising that it's not surprising. <laughs> it's not surprising. And it was a late night match. And I got to tell you, I was absolutely exhausted that day. And I saw he was down two sets to none. And first of all, I didn't consider staying up and and watching him, you know, claw his way back into that match. I did not have that much energy, but I also went to bed, like absolutely confident that I would wake up in the morning, seeing the headline Djokovic wins in five sets. And (laughs) I wasn't worried. I wasn't panicked. I I pretty much knew he was going to do it. And I feel like many people felt the same way because of the fact that he's done it before. And it, it, how many players can you say that, that they're down by two sets in a major, but you have more than 50% even confidence that they're going to emerge victorious? Yeah, that I mean, and, and 
the fact that he's done it, uh, you know, I, I know Laszlo Jerry is not like a headline name player, but we saw him do it to Stefano Tsitsipas in a Grand Slam final. We saw him do it to, to Yannick Sinner in Wimbledon in a quarterfinal. So he's done it against big time top 10, top five players before. Uh, and look, Jera, I, I stayed up and watched the match because I found it really did compelling. I did. I what did. time did that one end at? How late was that? Uh, just after one o'clock, I think, or, you know, quarter after one or so. Um, and Jera, I, I felt like the really key moment where this match was sort of done for. I mean, Djokovic, okay, he played a fabulous third set. And already the momentum is turning with him winning the third. But the fourth set, Jera is serving first. He goes up 40 love in that game. Djokovic breaks him. No, Jera actually plays a great game, breaks right back there 1 1. Jera in the third game of the fourth set, 40 15, gets broken again. And you could see he's just deflated. Like he, he can't hit through Novak. He can't hold serve with any ease or confidence that suddenly the pressure is just overwhelming. And Djokovic just locked in defensively. His movement was unbelievable around the court. And uh, Jera just started getting flustered, understandably. How can you not? Uh, you, you can't hit a ball past him. And uh, that was really for me when the match was like, Novak has this. This is done. And the draw for Djokovic moving forward in the bottom half looks very, very promising, I would say, for him. Taylor Fritz, the ninth seed, uh, up next, you know, depending on when you listen to this episode, maybe that's already happened. But, uh, you know, Djokovic leads that head-to-head 7-0. and oh. uh, Yeah, they played a five-setter back at the 2021 Aussie Open, but more recently in Cincinnati, it was a real blitz for Novak. And then it'll be another American after that one, guaranteed, because all the American men are down in this bottom quadrant, Francis Tiafo or uh, Ben Shelton, and uh, love what we've seen from Shelton, um, really showing his American fans there what is he capable of, and another quarterfinal for him this year, just remarkable stuff at a, at a major. Um, but I think regardless of who it is, these are matches that are pretty winnable for Djokovic and potentially saving himself, you know, for a, a blockbuster final against Alcaraz, which I, I haven't, I can't remember the last time I wanted a final like this so, so badly to end the year in terms of the majors and especially what they've served up this year between the clay at Roland Garros, the grass at Wimbledon and that fantastic hard court final in Cincinnati. Uh, I want to see one more that, uh, that really matters here this year between them. Yeah. And it would certainly be an unbelievable storyline if, you know, the two of these players end up splitting the four majors where, you know, we felt like with a healthy Rafa Nadal, we were only going to see the splitting of the four with Novak and Rafa. And here is a new Spaniard uh, who's able to do it as well. Uh, just to touch on the Americans in the bottom half of the draw, I mean, great opportunity, I think, for all of them. Francis Tiafo was in the semifinals last year. He had that upset win over Rafa. And you can sense like he really plays his best in New York. Like he's really highly motivated. He's giving everything he has. Such a showman, huge electric forehand. He's all over the court. I, I think he's played great. Ben Shelton has had such a fascinating season because he made the Australian Open quarterfinals. Here he's back in the U.S. Open quarterfinals. And between those gaps, he didn't win consecutive ATP matches at any tournament. And part of that, I think, is, you know, turn pro last summer had no matches whatsoever on clay had no matches on grass, so he's kind of learning new surfaces. But for him to adapt at this age, like he's just 20 years old. And I can't believe, you know, before he made this quarterfinal run, there are already a lot of, uh, I think, pundits or, you know, Reddit or Twitter people being like, this guy's overhyped or he's overrated, can't do it. He's 20. He just left college where he was national player of the year, won three challengers at the end of 
the fall last season, broke into the top 100, makes the quarterfinals of Australia. Like, that's not a fluke. And we've seen him serving bombs like 149 miles per hour on the gun. I mean, a little bit reminiscent, honestly, maybe a left-handed anti-rotic. And, and these are with the balls that have that extra fuzz that are supposed to slow them down, too. I mean, imagine <laughs> yeah, if he wasn't right. using the, the extra-duty ones. Um, and you and I had a great viewing of, uh, of what he can do in Toronto. Uh, when he played Carlos Alcaraz, and I don't know about you, but I, I snuck down into one of the lower front rows for that one, and uh, I don't mind admitting that now weeks after the tournament's ended, but uh, great view of the two of them going back and forth, and even though Alcaraz won that one in straight sets, I mean, each player had three breakpoint chances in the match, and the difference was really Alcaraz converted on one of them and won a tie break, so not much separating him and the world number one in that match, and so so much to to look forward to for him, and Boy, if I'm an American tennis fan, both with Coco Goff and the summer she's having and just the depth on both the men's and the women's tour right now, American tennis is in as good a place as I can remember for for quite some time going back to the, you know, Sampras Agassi, um, you know, Serena Venus years there. Um, and I did go back through who were the American men in 2005. And of course, that was the year that Agassi had that great run to the finals and beat uh, Ginepri and uh, James Blake. Yes. Um, back to back quarters and semis to get there. Um, so, wow, I can't believe that was that long ago, to be honest with you. Yeah, I remember that James Blake match. That was incredible. That was like one of the best five setters I've seen. Uh, just just to move on a little bit on the top top half of the draw. I mean, Carlos Alcaraz trying to defend this title. He's going to lose his world number one ranking uh, no matter what. That will change hands. Uh, and that's been confirmed. But I mean, who can maybe stop him from getting to the final? We should say Daniil Medvedev after losing to Alex Dimenauer in Toronto, defeating the Australian now in four sets. And I thought he looked really, really strong over the final three sets, just completely dialed in, not making any mistakes, moving so brilliantly around the court. I feel like Medvedev has a certain comfort level on these New York courts that is, you know, kind of where we see his peak. And he's going to go up against a fellow Russian and good friend of his, Andrei Rublev. And Rublev looking to break the, um, you know, the quarterfinal streak at the majors. What is it? Eight times yeah. he's been in the quarterfinals of a major and has lost all of them. So is this the time, the ninth one, where he makes his first ever slam semifinal? Uh, not going to be easy against Medvedev for all the reasons you just listed. Uh, Rublev is a heck of a player. So it's uh, this is a streak that's got to end at some point. And, you know, both of these players haven't had the greatest summer coming into this event. So for no. one of them, uh, I mean, for either of them, first of all, it's already been, you know, the best result they've had this summer on the hard courts. But for one of them, it's, uh, you know, what does it matter, Toronto and Cincinnati, if you make it to the semifinals of the U.S. Open or better? Yeah, exactly. And and this is ultimately the tournament you really circle uh, for your summer hard court swing. You want to peak now. Uh, and, you know, I, I would be so happy if we saw Andre Rublev finally break that quarterfinals curse, even though I'd be happy to see our guest from our last episode, Dino Medvedev, uh, continue to make his run. Um, I, I suppose we should shift over to the women's side or one more point. One more point, and that's yeah. uh, just while we're talking Medvedev, is uh, we've got the signed Daniil Medvedev tennis ball that he signed while at the National yes. Bank Open here in Toronto. We're giving another week for this one to breathe, so if you want to enter in on that contest, just repost on Twitter or X, I suppose as they call it now, and uh, enter yourself to win that uh, signed piece of tennis history from here in Toronto. And before we switch over to the women's side, just a quick word from our sponsor this week, Hotel X. If you're looking for the perfect urban getaway for your next family vacation, then look no further than Hotel X Toronto, the city's premier urban resort. 
With its state-of-the-art fitness facility, 10XTO, and four indoor tennis courts, there's something for everyone in the family. But that's not all Hotel X has to offer. With luxurious amenities from the rooftop pool to the award-winning Gurlane Spa, from the 250-seat cinema to the three-level sky bar, there's so much to see and do all under one roof. Whether you're visiting Toronto for business or pleasure, Hotel X is the perfect choice for families and individuals alike. Book your stay today at Toronto's only urban resort, Hotel X Toronto. Experience the extraordinary. And as we uh, look over to the women's side, I, I just had a bit of a chuckle to myself because as we built our kind of prep sheet for this episode, I had written with a question mark Coco and Shvianta coming up. And no, that is not coming up. Uh, well, we talked look... about it so much last week. Right? <laughs> maybe we overhyped it. I couldn't believe it was going to be a quarterfinal. Perhaps. And, you know, maybe if you asked a lot of people ahead of time, if this quarterfinal doesn't happen, which of these two players is going to be out of the tournament, they might lean towards Goff just because of the slam pedigree of Iga Shviantek. And she's won four times and she's the defending champion here. But Yelena Ostapenko continues to be a problem for her. Ostapenko now leads in that career uh, that head-to-head matchup for nothing. And boy, did she play a great match coming back from a set down to win 3-6, 6-3, 6-1 and oust the world number one who now will lose her ranking. So Iga will... Uh, seed that number one ranking over to arena Sabalenka after 75 weeks atop the mantle. Hey, 75 weeks is not too shabby. Very good. Like a year and a half. If my math kind of adds up there. Yep. And, uh, and Sabalenka, you know, a deserving person to uh, take that, uh, that title, so to speak from her, that position in, in the women's game, who knows how long it'll last for, but uh, you know, credit to her, first of all, for playing such incredibly consistent ball over the last year. And also props to Iga Sviantek for holding it for such a length of time. And I mean, especially in 2022, she seems so invincible. And I feel like that aura of invincibility is kind of being chiseled away just a little bit. Um, losses at both hardcourt slams this year to big hitters like Elena Rabakina in Australia, Ostapenko here in New York. And uh, I mean, Ostapenko, first of all, I didn't realize she has a or had a, a 4-0 or now is 4-0 and yep. against Sviantek in her career. That's incredible, don't you think? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, well, first of all, a testament, a testament to her incredibly explosive game that we know she's the type of player when she's on, she can hit anybody off the court. And, but if you start kind of looking at the players, maybe Iga tends to lose to, and she really doesn't lose very often. It is this type of very flat, powerful hitter who is a super aggressive baseliner that takes time away from Iga. When Iga has time on the ball, I feel like she can dictate and control absolutely everything. And the few players who can take that away, Ostapenko certainly one of them, Elena Rybakina, who you mentioned, and when I think probably Sabalenka is playing her best. And now Coco Goff suddenly doesn't have to face Sviantek, which was a fantastic match recently in, uh, what was it, Cincinnati. Yep. Um, and, you know, Coco was saying about Ostapenko, look, either she's hot or cold. It's one extreme or the other. Uh, there's not a whole lot in the middle. Either she's going to make it very uncomfortable out there or she's not going to be clicking and it's going to be, uh, you know, a runaway. So I think either way, though, this is a great opportunity for Coco. And uh, I'm starting to get those those goosebumps for Coco. Could this be the uh, the maiden Grand Slam? It's almost a, a lock. You would think that she's going to have one or more in her career the way she's already playing at the age of 19. Are you starting to get that vibe that this is where it's going to happen for her? 
Yeah, I, I mean, this, this is certainly, without a doubt, the best opportunity she's had in her career, and she's going to get a lot more opportunities, I think, the fact that she's still only 19 years old. But uh, against Ostapenko, they played twice, and Goff actually beat her in a final in Linz four years ago, and she was 15 years old. Ostapenko did beat her at a slam as well in Australia, so... Um, I think if Goff can sort of weather the storm and, you know, resist some of that power in the early stages of the match, which she would be able to do the way she defends the court, I think she'll gain the upper hand. And of course, the crowd's going to be a huge factor. Um, and Ostapenko sometimes mentally can be a bit of a ticking time bomb. So we'll see like in what state she's in. But yeah, certainly great opportunity here. And then you look just below them, you have Serrano Sustea, who's probably the maybe the most surprising of the eight quarterfinalists here through, and she'll take on uh, Carolina Muhova, who of course made the French Open final, has been had a great, great season. So uh, I think, you know, Goff could beat either of those two players. And then if we shift over to the bottom half, I mean, we got to start giving some credit to Marketa Vondrasova, by the way. Our Wimbledon champion has comfortably arrived in the quarterfinals, the final eight, and I feel like she's still not really being talked about all that much. Okay, so you talk about Vondrasova because then I want to talk about Jen Chinwin, who's uh, yep. one that I was pumping up on last week's episode. So you go first, and then I'll make my case for the 23rd seed. Yeah, well, look, I, I mean, the Wimbledon performance we know was was fantastic from the left-handed player. And I know there was so much hype for Ans Jabeur to finally break through and win that first Grand Slam title. But Vondrasova earned it, and she defeated her in straight sets with just a really flawless performance. She was so steady from the back of the court. You know, she's been to a French Open final in the past. She's a silver medalist. And I feel like since Wimbledon, she hasn't really had a letdown either. Actually, in Montreal, she won a couple matches. I think she beat Wozniacki before losing to Goff. And then she was in the quarterfinals of Cincinnati before losing to Spiontek. So, you know, her losses following Wimbledon are to two great players. And here at the US Open, uh, you know, that Round of 16 was a battle. She got past American Peyton Stearns in a long three-setter. But if she's healthy, uh, I mean, Madison Keys awaits, which is another bit of a surprise 2017 finalist. But uh, Vondrasova is really proving her worth as a, a top 10 player and I think a mainstay. Yeah, and that win at Wimbledon, maybe like how much did that boost her confidence and, right. and morale moving forward and and to play more freely? I mean, how many times have we seen that with some players um, you know, even someone like Simona Halep, who had been a top 10 presence for a long time before her first slam. But once she got the first one, she admitted that, you know, she felt way more free out there. And I would imagine that many first time slam winners Definitely. probably feel something similar. Um, someone who doesn't have a slam, but uh, I feel like it's it's potentially in the cards one day is Zhang Qinwen from China, the 23rd seed. And uh, we've been talking about her for some time. Great movement on the court versus on Jabur playing really aggressive, which I think is something that her coach, Wim Facet, is really pushing her to do more and more. And I love seeing the hustle for some of the Jabir drop shots. Um, she was 10 for 13 at the net in that match and was the third top five win of her career, apparently, as well. And this is a player that uh, I feel is another one of those young ones on the tour that is going to have a great future. And could this also be, I'm starting to get the vibes for her, too, at this tournament. This could be a really special coming up party for her. Yeah, look, I, I mean, even quarterfinals already is a bit of a bit of a coming out party, and I still think a lot of tennis fans are learning her her name. And Mike, you can give yourself a pat on the back for that prediction because she was your dark horse pick, I recall, a week ago, was she not? That's right. And I and I said even in a matchup against Jabur, I felt comfortable with her. So here she is proving that every now and then 
I get something right. <laughs> uh, we should say, I mean, it's a very tall order, I think, in that quarterfinal against Arena Sabalenka. I think she's going to push her, without a doubt. But I wonder as well for Sabalenka, as you mentioned, sort of that relief after finally winning a major. Sabalenka really experienced that at the Australian Open at the front end of the year. Is she going to play very loose and free the way she has? I mean, she just blew Daria Kasakina off the court in the round of 16 and has looked very, very comfortable. And she's been to the semifinals two consecutive years at the U.S. Open. I think this is a great opportunity for her as well. And already knowing that she's going to be world number one come next week. So that also yep. might give her a little extra boost too. Um, we got to talk about the Canadians before we wrap up uh, this episode. And it'll be short and not sweet, unfortunately, in terms of the singles results. But maybe we start with the positive, which is we do have Canadians still left at the U.S. Open into the second week. And it's in doubles. And we're guaranteed we're going to have one in the semifinals. As six-seeded Leilani Fernandez is playing with Taylor Townsend. They're one of the real powerhouse, uh, you know, female tandems on the WTA in doubles. They're going to go up against Gabby Dabrowski, who we're used to Gabby being the number one doubles player in Canada, but Leila Annie seems to have sort of overtaken. And Gabby's playing with a Canadian of sorts as well, and Erin Routliff, who considers herself a half Kiwi, half Canadian. And so you could say there's three or four that are Canadians in that match. And so that's great for Canadian tennis fans that we are going to have a continued presence moving into the semifinals in doubles. Yeah, definitely. And we, we know how well Layla, Layla and Taylor have played together, particularly since that, that French Open making a final. It's nice for Gabby Dabrowski because we've been talking about it, finding a steady partner, which I think she's been searching for for some time. And we know she had a great one in Luisa Stefani of Brazil. And then it was Juliana Olmos for a period of time. And now Aaron Routliff, who she's been with, I believe, since Montreal. Uh, and right. this partnership is, is paying dividends, I think. Uh, I mean, in Montreal and in Cincinnati, they won a match, but then uh, just the other week in Cleveland, making the semifinals, you can tell they're building some momentum. They did get starting a walkover. Yeah, starting I think it is starting between to click. Them, right? Like, you know, yep. whenever you start playing with someone for the first time, or I don't know how many times they played before, but regularly anyways, it's going to take a little bit of time. And I actually spoke with Aaron Routliff last week, and I was asking her, hey, is this going to be a long-term thing with you and Gabby? And she says, for the end of this year, uh, at the very least. Perfect. That's great. Uh, that's great for the both of them, I think. They did get a walkover, I should mention, to the quarters. Um, as I said, Vondrasova played such a physical round of 16 match and was experiencing some pain in her arm that that she pulled out with Stritskova in that round of 16. So walkover to the quarters. I was worried about that one. You know, anytime yeah. I see the Canadians go up against an all-Czech duo, oh, in I double, know. they're always fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, but now, I mean, as you said, what an opportunity uh, for a Canadian, a guaranteed spot in the semifinals of doubles. If we talk a little bit about maybe Layla in singles, and I, I, I feel for her because that first match, she draws a Katarina Alexandrova, 22nd seed. It's a difficult draw. She really left her heart on the court. I, I mean, she competed so hard. She had numerous deficits, battle back, wins the second set. I believe she was down three love in the third, gets it back to four all. She was just never feeling her serve. And every service game you could sense was just a struggle. And she could not get quite over the finish line, losing that match 6-4 in the third. And I feel like we've had a number of these like very tight, close losses, particularly in majors for Layla this season. Yeah, agreed. And it's, you know, the ranking is part of it for sure. Until you get that ranking up to a spot where you're seated in the top 32, you never know who you're going to get. And the draws haven't been kind to the Canadians. Look at Milos Ranoc having to go up against Stefano Sissipas. And that went real quick in straight sets for him. 
Felix's troubles continue as well. Dennis and Bianca are both injured. I mean, we're kind of having a bit of a crisis here in Canada right now, and I'm not trying to sound the alarm for no reason, but there's only so many weeks on the podcast that you can kind of shrug it off and say, oh, but they're so talented and it's going gonna, it's gonna to come back to them at some point. It, it hasn't come back to any of them at this point, really. And um, you can't say that they're tied to one another. They're all individual players, mm-hmm. but it's really tricky to kind of pin down what exactly is going on right now in singles with our male and female Canadian tennis players. Yeah, I I'll ask you. I I mean, who are you the most concerned about? I suppose out of uh, these four, we should say with uh, you know Felix Dennis, Bianca, Layla. Crap, that's such a tough question right now because I feel pretty concerned about all of them. To be honest, I mean, Felix, I think responds by saying some of the right things, but deep down, you could tell this is really impacting his psyche and his confidence. I don't worry about Layla Annie Fernandez's confidence. I feel like that is almost like unbreakable. But with Felix, he seems um, he seems wounded in a sense right now in terms of his his confidence. So I think maybe Felix is the one I would be most concerned about. Dennis has had that knee bug in him for a while, so it's kind of tough to say. And he did still make the fourth round at Wimbledon, which was encouraging. Yep. And Bianca, I always feel like, is just a, a win away from doing something really special still. So... I guess I'd have to go with Felix, but that being said, I'm not feeling, you know, really um, warm and fuzzy about any of them at this stage of the season. And and I wish I felt differently. And normally I'm the rah-rah guy who's always looking at the, the glass half full. But right now I got to say, man, 2023 in some ways can't end quickly enough for, for these guys and girls. Yeah, no, it's I mean, it's fair to be critical. And I, I think all of these players, in particular, Felix, I mean, he's owned up to it. You could see how solemn he was in his press conference after Toronto, for example, uh, because he arrived there thinking, here's where I turn around my season. I'm healthy again. I'm feeling good again. I need some match wins. Let's start it off in a night session with a, you know, a great crowd supporting me, get a win over Max Purcell and get the ball rolling that he looked a little shell-shocked almost that he lost that match and really has not been able to get the ball rolling and get any sort of momentum. And the glaring stat to me just from that first-round loss to Mackenzie McDonald is one of 13 on breakpoint chances. And even in the fourth set with McDonald serving 5-4, having a triple breakpoint chance to get back in the match and not being able to execute. So that tells me it's mental right now for him. Yeah, well said. And, you know, no disrespect to Milos Raonic, but when he's got the biggest Canadian win of the summer against ninth-seeded Francis TFO here in Toronto, yeah. you know there's a problem. And great for Milos, and excited to see what he's going to be doing before the season is over, hopefully playing some tournaments in the fall. And you know what that serve on indoor courts is going to be just absolutely brutal for any of his opponents to face. So hopefully more positive news, and maybe Milos can once again sort of pave the way for the Canadians and inspire the younger ones. We'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see. But for right now, we got one more week of U.S. Open action, final major of the year. Super excited to see how play out, how things play out. And yeah, looking forward to our next podcast, Ben, where we wrap up things from Flushing Meadows. Yeah, our, our thanks again to Hotel X, the official hotel of Matchpoint Canada. And a reminder uh, for a chance at a signed tennis ball from Danil Medvedev. You have one more week uh, to reshare that podcast and that interview. And we'll announce the winner next time. Guys, you've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. Enjoy some Tragically Hip. We'll talk to you next time.